The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. In just a second, Lauren Boland, reporter with the Journal.ie and Philip Ryan, political editor with the Irish Independent, are going to be joining us to talk through the stories making the news this morning. But first, we go to one of them that's on the front of the Irish Independent. This is a story written by the Ireland editor Fiannan Sheehan under the headline Guard the Probe into Housing Objectors Demanding Quotes Go Away Cash. Um, Fiannan is with us this morning. Fiannan, what's the details? So the the Garda Economic Crime Bureau, otherwise known uh, colloquially as the Garda Fraud Squad, they've launched a criminal investigation into a, a particular case of uh, alleged going away money being sought to drop planning objections to housing. Now, this relates to a, a prominent housing development in Dublin, uh, which is now at the centre of this probe. And the, the, the Garda have confirmed uh, to us that this investigation has commenced. Uh, it follows a complaint into planning-related matters in, in the Dublin region, and they can't say any more because there's a criminal investigation on, on the way. Now, there have been, it, despite the fact we're in the midst of, of housing crisis, there have been several allegations of, of go-away money being sought to withdraw objections. Uh, the Minister for Housing is especially concerned about these issues. Yeah, he's, he went to the Attorney General and the Minister for Justice and said, do we need to strengthen the law here? And the Attorney General, uh, Rasta Fanning, actually came back to him and said, the, these reports of systemic misuse of the planning appeal system are deeply concerning. They have a negative impact on the wider community, particularly on first-time buyers, because the thesis is that where a developer is faced with demands for money from objectors and they have to pay it, that this just adds to the price uh, of uh, the, the finished product that is then uh, bought by a first-time buyer or a regular buyer, and it also delays the, the process. So, Rasa Fanning, the Attorney General, has come back to the Minister and said that he's aware of a guard investigation underway here, and he has said that he believes that there is adequate law uh, in place. And what he's also said, he's, he's honed in on this particular investigation, and he says he understands that the Gardaí investigated the manner, and while that need not impede any necessary law reform, it is nonetheless a consideration. So he's actually hanging it off this particular case and saying, listen, we need to see what the outcome is here, and, and then after that, uh, we'll, we'll take a look and we'll see is there a necessity to introduce a particular aspect of the law. A massive overhaul of the, the planning laws are currently underway legislation is, is being published at the moment. It's going to be one of the biggest piece of legislation to ever come through the houses of the Oireachtas. And what the housing minister was saying was, do we need to add extra provisions here to prevent this kind of carry on? And the Attorney General has come back and said, no, I, I, I don't think so, but we keep an eye on it. He said that there, you already have Section 17 of the Criminal Justice Public Order Act, and that's uh, about it being an offence uh, for people with a view to gain for themselves or another or with intent to cause loss to another makes any unwarranted demand with menaces. Uh, he's also saying there's, there's another uh, element uh, of the law, Section 6 and 7 of the Criminal Justice Theft and Fraud Offences Act. So the Attorney General has effectively identified what laws maybe have been breached here 
as a result of these allegations and he's leaving it to the Gardaí. Indeed, but, but as you say, both he and the Minister will be keeping a watchful eye as to what the outcome either way is of this investigation. Do we therefore know, Fionn, how long it is likely to be before the guards come to a conclusion as to what they are going to do in this matter? No, we don't. I mean, the, 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 what the Gardaí have confirmed is that they have received a complaint that they are investigating it. So, so presumably... Um, statements have to be taken both from the from the, com- the complainant uh, and from from those against whom the allegations are are, are being made. Any additional evidence to be to be gathered, uh, a file compiled and and sent to the DPP uh, for consideration about whether charges should should be brought. So I mean, how long is a piece of string uh, there? But I suppose uh, when the Garda Fault Squad are, are involved and actually confirming that they're initiating an investigation here. Uh, after all, this is the, the specialist division that, that investigates the more serious and complex economic crimes. It, it's certainly a very serious matter, uh, and and you, you'd imagine it will have to be a, a, a terribly detailed investigation. Fionn Sheehan, thank you very much. That is Fionn Sheehan, who is Ireland edi- editor with the Irish Independent and his colleague Philip Ryan, political editor with the same paper, is with us, as is Lauren Boland, reporter with the journal.ie. We will park that story about the uh, Garda probe into housing objectors, given that it is pending a Garda investigation and move to the other things making the news. Starting, Lauren, with the front page of the Irish Daily Mail, what's described by the Mail as a Bombshell. D Forbes secret vow to Tuberty on late late sponsorship. Yeah, I think for, for anyone who isn't sick of hearing about Orchie, I think for anyone who's still interested in this, this is going to to shake things up a little bit. I think particularly so th- this note essentially is the is the, is the document that the Public Accounts Committee and Orchie had been volleying over for the, the, the recent months over whether Orchie would release it or not, basically detailing a meeting in which that, that sponsorship deal with Renault had been discussed and the arrangements around that. Um, and the, uh, the note has now been given to um, the committee with the expectation of it being discussed um, in private. Um, but the Irish Mail here today is reporting some of the details of it. Um, and it, it, it appears to detail... Um, some uh, you know position on RTE's side that arrangements around um how that the, how that sponsorship deal would be you know negotiated with Ryan Tuberty that um it would need to be made it would need to be done orally that they couldn't put it in writing um and and that 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 that, that was something that was explicitly sort of made clear in the meeting that they didn't want this to be put down in writing um which I think if that had been known or if that had been one of the documents that was released in the in the previous document dumps that we saw throughout the committee meetings, that it's something that would have definitely coloured the discussions at the committees um, because, because it does seem quite, um, you know, eye-catching, you know, a, a line in it that um, the arrangement would have to be only oral, can't write to confirm it, as that will negate what we're trying to do or that... Um, a representative from uh, Ryan Tuberty's management saying they they expected on RTE to underwrite the deal, um, and then the note saying that RTE's position was you know that they could not in a formal sense as that would compromise what we were trying to achieve. I've been intrigued by the reaction to this, Philip, because not to just to this story, but to the issue because it it is so binary. There is one half of people who are saying 
hang on a minute, this was entirely RTE. Um, Noel Kelly and Ryan Tuberty just went along and sure, what harm their employees or their freelancers and can therefore, or one is a freelancer, one is a representative and they can do whatever is suggested by who the contracting organisation. And the other half of people saying, whoa, you cannot enter into a scheme to willfully hide things from the public view. Mm. What's your take? Well, like there's two ways of looking at it, I think. Number one is you have Warren Tuberty, who is this national figure uh, up until... Uh, recently, um, you know, a well-loved, uh, saw people through the pandemic, we're, we're all in this together, look after yourself and all these kind of comments when the shows were on, given that kind of impression that he's an everyman, that he's just out there trying to be uh, just like you, the viewer sitting at home. But on the other side, he's a man that knows his worth and Noel Kelly certainly knows his worth. Does being rich stop you being an everyman? Um yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know. How do you? <laughs> Depends on how rich. But I think it's more. It's not even the richness. It's more that the push to insist that his pay didn't drop substantially when other RTE staff pay was dropping. I think that's the the kind of key thing to to see in all these discussions. Now, Ryan Tuberty has always given the impression yeah, that he was slightly removed from it. Surely you're within your rights to say. I'm not taking a cut. I'm going to resist a cut. I'm going to dig my heels in. That's how a negotiation works. You're going to try and cut me. I'm going to try to resist. That's, yeah, sure. But like, again, if you're kind of trying to give the impression of we're all in this together and you're kind of secretly, and I think it's fair to say secretly, trying to make sure you have this extra payment in your back pocket when everybody else, your, your colleagues, people you show up to every day and who you tank in the studio and, and on air and they're all in the credits, but they're taking cuts and you're realistically not taking the same amount. Explain one thing to me then, Lauren. Why did, at no point during all of these um, negotiations, why did D Forbes not use the three-word sentence on your bike? I guess that, that because of the value that they saw Brian Tuberty bringing. I mean, I mean, why else not? Why, you know, obviously they meant a lot to him or they wouldn't have gone through all of this. You know, that they saw some value in keeping him on if they wanted to keep him on. I guess maybe for the reasons that you pointed out, that he was sort of seen as this kind of national figure, um, that even though he maybe had some critics that for, for a lot of people he was that household figure on a Friday evening, um, you know, because the history of The Late Late Show isn't a show that rotates through hosts quickly. So part of its legacy is that you have this sort of figure who stays there for, you know, a decent chunk of time that becomes that weekly figure in people's homes. And if that started to erode and, and you started to have you know, hosts being cycled through very quickly, I think where you might see that as a as a risk for the overall longevity of the show, that part of its its sort of legacy is having that central Surely, figure. Surely, though, there's huge precedent. I mean, Johnny Carson turned into Jay Leno, nobody batted an eyelid, the number stayed more or less the same. Dave Letterman turned into Stephen Colbert, nobody batted an eyelid, the number stayed more or less the same. Jimmy Fallon delivered more or less the same kind of numbers that Jay Leno had previously been delivering. Craig Ferguson kept the numbers. <laughs> it's, it's a different market here in Ireland, though, isn't it? Pat I mean, in kept the States. more or less Gabo's market when you factor it for the increasing demographics. When you look at the shift from Jonathan Ross to Graham Norton, the world is full of, you're gone, here's the next guy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, but I suppose if you're, if you're, I, I think the market is different. I already made the point about Pat Kenny there, but we think about the States where they have a lot of chat shows. We don't, it's not the same here I, in Ireland. I think what evidence is of why she, D Forbes could have taken that approach and could have strong armed him a little bit more. You just have to look at where Ryan Tuberty is now. He is taking some time off, it seems. There's a lot of talk of him trying to pitch himself here, there and everywhere. Um, I'm not sure what, what the latest rumour or move is. There was some talk about one of these kind of little known radio stations in the UK. Like Virgin. Vir- Virgin's not quite little known. Chris but Evans I, does host the breakfast show and they're pouring <laughs> money into it. Well, I did actually hear Ryan Tuberty <laughs> ring in to 
version. Well, that's the current uh, reports during the week are yeah. suggesting that that's where he's heading. Is yeah, so like it's not like it's he's not landing a big plum job in BBC. Ah, but there's a big difference. There's a huge difference between negotiating when you are the. Ho- it's like that that cliche about it's easier to get a new relationship when you're in one. If mm. you're the host of the, of the top two radio and TV shows in RTE, that's a very much more marketable prospect than somebody who's just staggered out of an Oireachtas committee, having been shouted at for two and a half hours. Yeah. Not quite as saleable in a domestic yeah. market. Well, I don't know. I think that at the same time, people will be able to point to that or the, the current management backers will go like, well, look, this is what happens to a lot of people. And how many people have left RTE and went on to greater things? Well, there's Darrow Breen. There's Pat Kenny. Yep. There you go. <laughs> there's no bad, uh, the, the list goes on head. and on. <laughs> <laughs> well, who else is there that's gone? There must be more that has departed and departed successfully. Like Dara has done extremely well. Dara has, yeah, yeah, for sure. Did that gone from the days of the Don't Feed the Gondolas? Well, not just to, oh, actually, Don't Feed the Gondolas. Sean Moncrief, there's Sean another. Moncrief, yeah. Uh, 53106, <laughs> by the way, if you have suggestions. So we've got Dara, we've got Sean Moncrief, we've got Pat Kenny. If you've got any other suggestions, you can get us at 53106 at a cost of uh, 30 cent, or you can get us 087 106. A text saying, Tuberty did not get anyone through COVID. The frontline staff did. Stop this nonsense. Tuberty was, and then it goes on to be abusive. I don't think in his defence that was quite what Philip was saying. Mm. You were saying that it was a, a mm. portrayal as somebody whose main yeah, concern was, was the part, broader public. Yeah. Let us move on then to other stories that are making the use. The FAI. The FAI found itself embroiled, as we all recall. Again, we go back to Oroxus committees. Um, the uh, John Delaney, the previous chief executive of the uh, FAI, ending up in a situation where he dug his heels in with the Oroxus committee in relation to um, pay and governance in that organisation. They now find themselves having their funding suspended because of pay and governance. So the details here reported in The Independent this morning is that the government has suspended funding to the FAI because of a breach of the terms of the bailout. And what that is centred around is payments that have been made to uh, current chief executive Jonathan Hill, who it's reported um, has been paid in excess of what was agreed that would be the cap on his salary um, in in the terms of that that bailout. So one of the terms was that his overall um, earnings would not exceed the level of that in the civil service of what would be a secretary general rank, which is 216,000, um, which is not something to be sniffed at. Um, but there's there's um, a report was done uh, and found that he had had received earnings in excess of that um, for one that was 12,500 in 2022 that was paid in lieu, in lieu of holiday days that weren't taken. Um which also seems a very significant amount for, for holiday days, um, and, and 8,500 in commuting expenses from London. And he's um, paying all this back. Is so that he's, I think, 20,000, yeah, around 20,000 now that, he, that he's agreed to repay. Um, so the, the, the president of the FAI has said that the situation's being resolved, which surely means that he's paying the money back, um, and, that, and, and calling it so that it was a matter of a, a technical financial interpretation and saying that Jonathan Hill isn't, to have the blame put on him. You would have thought that the FAI would be very sensitive to these kind of things, wouldn't you? This is the thing. Like, if you people can cast their mind back a couple of years, the, the organisation had to get a €30 million Euro, um, bailout from the government and UEFA combined so that the organisation could stay afloat, essentially. So underage kids could get up this morning and play their games. So the FAI Cup final tomorrow between the Super Saints and Bows could go ahead. And and all these things and the league could continue and the Ireland team, all the all the important things that people dedicate their lives to um, on a voluntary level on a lot of cases. So the idea that they are once again in the headlines, thanks to Mark Tighe as usual for digging out the scoops, um, 
over some fine Mark natural... Tag led an awful lot of the coverage in respect to John De- Delaney. Of course, yeah, he wrote the book on it, literally. And um, he, it, it, but again, yeah, we're, we're back to this kind of scenario where the FAI's finances are in the news rather than the, the actual football, which is like, how can you have confidence in an organisation like that, that this is supposed to be the new broom and there's still problems with this peg? Can I ask the, the um, grossly unpopular question? Is, is pegging the FAI chief executive salary to that of a sec gen in the civil service a wise move? Well, I suppose it depends on the calibre you're trying to look for. Um, you also have to bear in mind the huge amount of money the organisation gets from all of our taxpayers' um, contributions. And there has to be some sort of reality check for them as well. Like we're not dealing with a, you know, it's not Apple, it's not Google, it's an organisation running a football association in Ireland, which has got huge amounts of, like I said, voluntary people working with them, and they've got huge amounts of people that that depend on them. The thing is, though, I know we're meant to suck through our teeth and go, it's a lot of money. The reality is, and whether you like it or a bank. Like, Whether or how not, how much you, do you want to pay them? But no, but hang on. This is what I mean by it's not a bank. The, the bank has suggested you need to be in the airy fairy echelons of being a, a chief executive. There are literally thousands of people who work in the professional services firms. You take a partner or a director in a professional service firm, of whom there are thousands, and you say to them, "Will you do that gig for two hundred and ten grand?" They'll say, "Go away! I'm not taking a cut." Well, I tell you what. Tell them they can have the job for two hundred and whatever grand, and you get another hundred grand bonus if you get so World Cup final. <laughs> I think they'd want more than 100k. Well, what about that, Lauren? Is it, it, is it politically popular and populist, but unrealistic? I mean, it's not, it's not the only position where uh, that a top earner you know, has, been, has been matched to you know, a civil service ranking. I, I, know, I mean, in the university sector, I'm actually not sure was this, was this alleviated in recent years, but there was rules around hiring of lecturers where they couldn't exceed um, certain you know, grades in the civil service. And that caused a big fuss in the university sector because they were saying we can't recruit internationally renowned lecturers and experts to Irish colleges because of these caps on salaries. Um, but then equally, you're looking at, well, some of these universities have, 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 have lots of students in financial hardship and, and maybe would they be better off putting funding into you know, resources for students and things like that. Um, so it's kind of, it, it, that is the question, isn't it? Does it do you try to target it from bottom up or top down? John Lennon Hill is like a big deal in the FA over in England as well. You know, he's not nobody that, that took the job. He's... Um, and he seemed like he always seems very credible when he's out in public and his his um, view for reform, the organisation looks good. And hopefully this is just a little blip. He's paid it back and maybe we'll just be able to move on from it and hopefully <laughs> nothing else pops up. We have more suggestions in respect of uh, people who have departed from RTE. Right. <laughs> uh, Liz Bonin, Fanula Sweeney, Orla Guerin, Ian Dempsey, Tony Fenton, Ray Darcy. <laughs> Not a bad uh, so far. Hey, we he's back. Yeah, that's true. He, he, he did, yeah, he did yeah. a 360. Um, final thing, there is a story on the front of the... Well, actually, no, the, uh, we won't. We will do, go to a, a slightly different one for uh, pure self-indulgence. Harry and Meghan have managed to find a way to get uh, attention poured on them when they have struggled so much to just be left alone. Um, <laughs> Philip, this is because they are... Grieved now. What are they grieved at this time? Okay. Is well, it a birthday? They've been, yeah. So, King Charles, one of his two birthdays he has oh. as king. The king has two birthdays every year his actual birthday and then the king's birthday, which is during the summer. Uh, so, his 70th. Why? Why? Can you remember what? I, I'm, I'm aware yeah. of the fact that it happens. I've why never been clear on why. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I think it was something to do, maybe that the origin, something to do with the date was in a, like a, in a nice time of year. Like, the king's birthday is like <laughs> November and they were like tough we'd luck f- we're moving it to August yeah, we'd prefer <laughs> we'd prefer to have it in July or something I think it is July um, 
Yeah, but anyway, look, King Charles having his 75th birthday, that sounds like going to be a great bash. But uh, it's very confusing. Is it either King Charles has said he doesn't want them there or they are saying they don't want to go? It's And th- th- this piece here kind of suggests it's because of Camilla that um, she's not too pleased about the, that book again where they sought so much privacy about put, by putting every single detail of their life out in public. Um, that that naturally has upset a lot of people in the royal family and maybe that would just make for too awkward of a, a birthday lunch for Charles. So Lauren, it's all Camilla's fault? Oh look, I mean, this is, you know, just another one of these things, isn't it? I mean, I, that, that, that was it they got an invite and aren't going or that they weren't invited. I mean, like who knows and also kind of who cares really, you know, <laughs> Well, they, they have been given huge piles of money from uh, Spotify to do a podcast. They have been, he has written a but number nobody one. nobody listened to did they? Well, they got millions Canceled. for it and it did several hundred thousand in listens. Yeah. His his biography was the fastest selling book, I think, since the Bible, wasn't it? What? It was up there in terms of do, actually. Do people buy the Bible? Bring <laughs> in hotel rooms. Bible. No. <laughs> the hotel yeah. buying them up to put them in the drawers. I thought yeah. they were complimentary like the hotels. Apparently Queen Elizabeth II uh, was not the first monarch to do the separate birthday thing. It was started by George II in 1748 with a November birthday being too cold for a celebratory parade. So you were dead right. He tied his celebrations in with the annual Trooping the Colour military parade. There you go. This and other royalist information on the Anton Savage Show every weekend. Guys, thank you very much. Philip Ryan, political editor with the Irish Indo and Lauren Boland, reporter with the journal.ie. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.